Turning in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and uh, we want to begin reading at verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for another opportunity this morning to consider the message of Christmas. What an amazing message it is. We thank you that it's the message of salvation. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And we thank you that we can rest our souls upon your word. We pray that you would speak to the hearts of each one who is here today. We pray that you would help us to understand the times in which we live, times of violence. We pray for the family of this police officer in Greensboro who was killed yesterday. It's a reminder, Father, that in the last days, the earth will be filled with violence. It's a reminder that death has come by sin. And sinners need a Savior. And we just thank you that we have that Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that you would show us him this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we want to come back to these verses in Matthew chapter 2, because Paul reminds us of the importance of being put in remembrance of these things. He says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. The more earnest heed. Not less, because we've heard them so much, but more. Lest at any time we should let them slip. It's the things that we're most familiar with so many times that we allow to escape from our thinking. And so we don't want that to be the case when it comes to the message of Christmas. Last week we looked at the words here in verse 1. The message in three words, Jesus was born. And that's as far as we got uh, last Sunday. This morning, we want to move on in these two verses. And we want to think about this star and notice some things about it. The first thing that we want to notice is that the language, the implication of verse 1 and 2 is that this star came where the wise men were. It came where they were. In verse 1 we read, Behold, there came wise men from the east. Why were they wise? You ever thought about that? Why does the Bible call them wise? I believe it's because of something that we read in the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy, where Paul told Timothy that the scriptures are able to make thee wise 
unto salvation. And we're going to see that these wise men, they're called that because they believed the message of the scriptures. Uh, the star came where they were. Verse 1, behold, there came wise men from the east. And their testimony in verse 2 is that we have seen his star in the east. These men came from the east. They saw his star in the east. That suggests that the star came where these wise men were. The star is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like for you to turn back to the book of Numbers for just a minute. The book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 24. Just a brief and I guess pathetic history of or background of what we're going to be reading. You remember that Balak was the king of Moab. And he had a great fear of the children of Israel because of their numbers. There were so many of them, and he had heard what they had done to the Amorites, and he had no strength against them to fight them. And so he had sent for Balaam, a professional prophet, we would say, and he hired Balaam. He sent the reward of divination to Balaam to come and curse the people of God. But each time that Balaam tried to curse God's people, he could not do anything but speak blessing upon them. And so that's a little bit of the background. But here in chapter 24, Balaam gives a very important prophecy. Um, the Lord is able to use all manner of people and things to preach his word. He used Balaam's ass to speak to Balaam. He used a rooster to speak to uh, Peter. And so here he's going to use Balaam to give a very important prophecy. Look at verse 15. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, has said, and the man whose eyes are open has said, he has said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. Verse 17, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. Now notice these next words. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Very important words. Prophetic words. There shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It's interesting that in Revelation 22 and verse 16, the Lord Jesus said, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So let's go back to, to Matthew chapter 2, if you will. And notice again the words of the wise men in verse 2. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Notice that language. For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. 
The words of these wise men are the fulfillment of Balaam's prophecy. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Where is he, these wise men ask, that is born king of the Jews? They're looking for this scepter, this king that's going to rise out of Israel, that's going to arise, this star, out of the Jews. And so the star is a picture of the Lord Jesus. And he came where we are. He came where we are. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, a verse that we looked at last week. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel, as we saw last week, if you look across the page in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, right at the end of the verse, means God with us. John chapter 1, another passage that we looked at last week. Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John 1.14 tells us, And the Word, the Word that was God, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 3 and verse 16, the most Probably the most known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, the Lord Jesus said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. This star came where the wise men were. And it pictures to us how the Lord Jesus came where we are. But not only is this star a picture of the Lord Jesus, the Word that was made flesh, the Word of God living, but this star also pictures to us the Word of God written. Keep your place here and, and turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1, if you will. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, and look at verse 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Notice the language here. Peter says that we were eyewitnesses of the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were eyewitnesses on the Mount of Transfiguration. They heard the voice of God the Father as he spoke from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son 
in whom I am well pleased. They were eyewitnesses, and their eyewitness account, of course, involved what they saw and what they heard. They saw the glory, and they heard the voice of God the Father. But then in verse 19, Peter begins to talk about something that is even more sure than his eyewitness account. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, he says. And what is this more sure word of prophecy? Well, he tells us in verse 20, knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scripture, the Scripture, that's the more sure word of prophecy. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This more sure word of prophecy is the inspired and infallible and inerrant preserved word of God. And to what does Peter compare the scriptures? Well, look at verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. Notice these next words. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Peter compares the scriptures, the word of God, to a light that shines in a dark place. Isn't that a description of a star? A star is a light that shineth in a dark place. And so the scriptures, the word of God written, are a star that shineth in a dark place. And so this star in Matthew chapter 2 is not only a picture of the word of God living who came where we are. This star is also a picture of the word of God written that came where we are. Notice again verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God gave his word. And it's inspired and it's infallible and it's inerrant because it came not in old time by the will of man. It came by the will of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But God not only gave his word, he preserved his word. Uh, a few weeks back, we were, we were talking about the importance of the word of God. And the preservation of it. And we looked at Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God gave his word. He preserved his word. He published his word. He's not trying to hide his word. Psalm 68 and verse 11, the Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. God gave his word. He preserved his word. He published his word. He prospered his word. Isaiah 55 and verse 11, so shall my word be that goeth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void 
but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God gave his word, he preserved his word, he published his word, and he prospered his word. And I believe there's only one Bible that fits all of those criteria, if you will. The three P's, preserved, published, prospered. Inspired, infallible, that's the King James Bible. I believe that as we hold it in our hands this morning, we're holding the inspired and infallible and inerrant and preserved Word of God. And it's a word that has been published. It's estimated that more than one billion copies of the King James Bible have been printed since 1611. Think about that. More than one billion. That's published. Not only that, think of the message, think of the impact that the King James Bible has had on the world. Not just on America, but the world. That's prospered. And so we have... A, 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 the word of God in front of us is inspired, it's infallible, it's inerrant, it's preserved, it's been published, it's prospered. This is the star that God has sent to us where we are to shine in a dark place. We need that. To shine in a dark place because we need something that will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Until the day dawn and the day star, the word living, the Lord Jesus Christ arises in your hearts. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 2, if you will. And so this star that appeared in the east where these men were is a picture of the word of God living, the Lord Jesus Christ, who God sent where we are. And it's also a picture of the word of God written that God has sent where we are. Now, I'd like for us to think about this star a little bit. You know, so many times we are influenced in our thinking concerning not only the Christmas story, but we're, we're talking about the message of Christmas this morning. We're influenced by pictures that we see. For example, we see pictures of the wise men on Christmas cards. And we watch Christmas programs and uh, our, our children and grandchildren are in Christmas programs. And how many wise men are there? Well, there's three. There's three. But verse 1 doesn't mention a number. It simply says there came wise men from the east. So there were more than one. The reason we tend to think that there were three is because we read over in verse 11 that when they came into the house where the young child was, that they presented to him their gifts. And there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we assume that each gift was presented by and represents one wise man. Well, it may have been presented by one wise man, but there could have been others standing behind them. We don't know. The other picture that we see in connection with the wise men is this incredibly bright star that filled the night sky with light. 
And it led the wise men to Bethlehem. But I've often wondered if that's how it was. I've often wondered if that star was really so bright. I've wondered if it wasn't just an ordinary star with ordinary light that God showed these wise men from his word and then he used it to bring them to Bethlehem. If this star had been bright and with a tail as big as a kite, as the song says, then Herod wouldn't have needed to send the wise men to Bethlehem and tell them to search diligently for the young child. He could have simply commanded his army to go out there and you, you can't miss the star and you follow the star to where this child who his birth troubles me so greatly is. And you can kill him. Well, there's different answers about that. The Lord could have just kept the star from moving. He could have made it dis- disappear. He could have told the wise men where and how to get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. He warned them in verse 12. And so he could have done that. And he could have fixed it where nobody could see the star except the wise men. I mean, he's the creator. And nothing is too hard or nothing is impossible for him. But this star is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that suggests something to us about its appearance. The Lord Jesus, his physical appearance was not something that was different from other men. In Isaiah 53 and verse 2, we read, He shall grow up as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. And he's described in that verse as a very average-looking man. He hath no form nor comeliness. There is no beauty that we should desire him. The Lord Jesus wasn't some Adonis. He wasn't some uh, muscle-bound man. He was a man just like you and me. The Lord Jesus didn't stand out because of his physical appearance. There was no aura of light that surrounded him or, or, or emanated from him as some of the pictures of Christ suggest. Pastor Kelly pointed something out in a message years ago along this line, and it concerned the arrest of the Lord Jesus. Judas, you remember, knew the place where the Lord would be. He knew the garden. He knew where it was. He knew that the Lord often resorted there with his disciples. And Judas had been given a band of men and officers from the chief priest and Pharisees to go and arrest the Lord. And Matthew tells us in chapter 26 and verse 48, Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. The Lord Jesus looked like an average, ordinary man. 
And by the way, we know this because we read in Genesis 1.27 that God made man in his own image. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7 that the Lord Jesus was made in the likeness of men. The, the Savior not only became one of us, he looked like one of us. And so much so did he look like we do that Judas had to point him out. He had to identify the Lord Jesus to these men and to these officers and to this crowd that had come to arrest him. If he had been some, there had been this aura of light around him, if he had been seven feet tall and muscle-bound, then Judas wouldn't have had to have pointed him out. That suggests to me that these wise men were looking at an ordinary star. The star that pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if that was the case, how did they see the star? Well, there's an interesting verse in Hebrews chapter 9. And if you want to turn over there and look at it, uh, you can. If you want to just stay put um, in, in he, um, Matthew, you can. Hebrews chapter 9 and look at verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Now notice these next words. And unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I believe that as it will be at his second coming, so it was at his first coming. It was unto them that looked for him that he appeared the first time. Like Simeon and Anna, and all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. We read about that in Luke chapter 2. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 2. These wise men were looking for the appearing of the king of the Jews. And I believe that what they saw was an ordinary star. I think this might be the most overlooked message of Christmas. These wise men from the east were looking for the coming of the Lord. And if you think about it, they had a good deal of information. They knew they were looking for a star that was going to arise out of Jacob, a king, a scepter that was going to arise out of Israel. So they knew what they were looking for. They knew from Genesis 1.14 that the sun and the moon and the stars were for signs. They knew from Numbers 24, 17, as we just read a few minutes ago, that they were looking for this star that was going to arise out of Jacob. And as they read that scripture and they saw the word star and scepter, they saw that they were capitalized. They knew that they were looking not only for a star, but for a person, a person who would be the king. 
And the way that they were going to be led was by a star in the heavens. A star in the heavens that would lead them to God manifest in the flesh. So they knew what they were looking for. They, they were looking for a star that would be a sign. They knew who they were looking for. They were looking for the king that would rise out of Jacob, the king of the Jews. That's where they got this language. But not only did they know what they were looking for and who they were looking for, I believe they knew when to look. If these wise men were from Persia, and that is believed to be where they were from, no doubt they would have known their history and how their history related to Israel and the Old Testament scriptures. Well, how did they have the Old Testament scriptures? Well, Daniel. Daniel had the scriptures there in Babylon with him. We're not going to take time to turn to it, but he tells us that. In Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2, he said he knew by books. Well, what books? Not the books of Babylon. The books of the Word of God, including and up to the book of Jeremiah. And so the wise men would have known that it was Artaxerxes who issued the command to restore and to build Jerusalem. These wise men would have been familiar with Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, would be 483 years. That command by Artaxerxes was given, as um, Sir Robert Anderson has calculated in his book, The Coming Prince, on March the 14th, 445 B.C. Now, obviously, the day that Artaxerxes gave that command had a Persian month and day and year attached to it. Different peoples over time have had different calendars, even today. It's always interesting to look at the Jewish date of today. I've saved this little converter on my computer. Because it's interesting to look at. The Jewish date of today, December 31st, 2023, is the 19th day of the month Tevet. And the year is not 2023. The year is 5,784. But these wise men could have taken their calendar and added 483 years to it. And they would not have come up with the day or the hour of the Lord's coming. But I suggest to you that they would have known the times and the seasons. But not only did they know what and who and when, they knew where. Numbers 24, verse 17. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So they knew that this king was going to come out of Israel. That's light. That's light. I want you to trace the light with me, if you will. So where did the light lead them? Well, they came to Jerusalem. Because that's where they would expect to find the king. And this brings up a very, very important principle in the word of God. The revelation from heaven is always unfolding. 
In other words, the more that we desire to know, the more the Lord reveals to us. That's a rather convicting thought, isn't it? Why don't we know more about the Word of God? We don't want to know more. That's why. The more that we desire to know, the more the Lord reveals to us. The more that we study His Word, the deeper the Lord takes us into His heart. The more light that we desire, the more light that He gives. I always think about the Ethiopian eunuch. He went to Jerusalem for the worship. He had that much light. And when he was there, the Lord gave him more light. He gave him the book of Isaiah. And so as he's headed back to Ethiopia, he's reading the word of God and he comes to the part that talks about the Lord Jesus in Isaiah 53. And so the Lord sends him more light. He takes Philip out of Samaria and he says, I want you to go into the desert and I want you to join yourself to that chariot there. And so Philip does that and he gets up in the chariot and he sees this man reading the word of God. And he asks him a question. Do you understand what you read? And, and the Ethiopian says, well, how can I except some man explain it to me? That's why God sent him. That's why the Lord sent Philip. And, and the Bible says that at the, he, at the same scripture, he preached unto him Jesus and so trace the light, Jerusalem. He gets a copy of the book of Isaiah. The Lord sends him Philip. And now he is in the full light of the glorious gospel of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we see this same progression in the lives of these wise men. The more that we want to know, the more the Lord gives us. In Numbers 24, these wise men learned that this king's going to come out of Israel. They come to Jerusalem. And what happens there in Jerusalem? The Lord gives them more light. Look, uh, did I tell you to go back to Matthew? Um, look back at Matthew chapter three, 2 in verse 3. I get excited about this. This, this is just such a blessing to think about. The Lord's going to give them more light. Look at verse 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. These wise men, they have the light of Numbers chapter 24. They have the light of the Old Testament scriptures. They come to Jerusalem, and now the Lord gives them more light. He gives them the light of Micah 5, 2. The, thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. The thousands of Judah. And these men have got to get to a specific place, and so the Lord's giving them that light. Bethlehem, that's where he's going to be born. And the irony here, the sadness here, is that they hear Micah 5, 2 in the presence of Herod the king, who is troubled, and they hear it read by the chief priest and the scribes who were troubled at the news of his coming. But here's God using the wrath of men to praise him. 
So now these men know the country, they know the city, and now the star is going to take them to the place. The place, Bethlehem, where they would find the Lord Jesus. These men were looking for the coming of the Messiah, the Prince. Their eyes were fixed on the sky, looking for the star, and they saw it. A star moving in the night sky. Now, I have to, to remind you of something here. I had to remind myself of it. A star moving in the night sky would have meant something to these men. You and I look up at the night sky now, and wow, there's all kind of lights up there. There's airplanes flying. There's the International Space Station that you can see from time to time. There are other satellites that come into view. They didn't have to figure that out. They didn't see any of those things. They just saw a star, a normal star, I believe, moving in the night sky. And it was the sign that these men needed to take them to the one they were looking for. A normal star, a small speck of light moving in the night sky. Visible only to those who were looking for it. It wasn't visible to those who were glorying in being king. It wasn't visible to those who knew the word of God in their heads like the chief priests and the scribes, but had never believed it in their hearts. The star wasn't visible to those who were troubled by the Lord's appearing. The star was only visible to those who were looking for the appearance of the coming king. Now it's important for us to understand why we need to think about this point. Notice again the words in verse 2. For we have seen his star in the east. We talked a couple of weeks ago, I think, about the similarities between the first coming of the Lord Jesus and his second coming. When he came the first time, the sign to these wise men was his star in the east. Did you know that the sign of his second coming is his star in the east? And his star in the east today is not some unusually big and bright star that fills the night sky. Now his star in the east today is a small speck of light in the night sky of a very dark world. And what is his star in the east today? What is this Small speck of light in the dark sky is the nation of Israel. It's the nation of Israel. That's his star in the east. We know that because God told Abraham in Genesis 15 and verse 4 that his seed would be as the stars of heaven. And it's not a big and bright star. Israel is a small speck of light if you stop and think about it. Israel occupies a total of 8,000 square miles. 
The earth has a total of 197 million square miles. If you divide 8,019 by 197 million, you get 0. .0004. In other words, the nation of Israel occupies four one hundred thousandths of the total square miles of the earth. That is a small speck of light. It's about the size of a star in the night sky. And you know who's going to see his star in the east today? The same people who saw it at his first coming. The wise men. The wise men who've been made wise by the scriptures. The wise men who are searching the scriptures. Those are the ones who are looking for him to appear. The question this morning is, are we wise? Are we wise? The truth is available. We know what we're looking for. We're looking for his star in the east. And it's there if we just look. That tiny little speck of light. Seven million Jews. I heard somebody the other day give this little number. Seven million Jews in the dark sky of 400 million Arabs. That's a pretty small speck of light. We know who we're looking for. We're looking for the Lord himself. We know where he's coming. He's coming to the air. And we know when the Lord is coming. We don't know the day or the hour. But we know the times and the seasons. And the best indicator of the times and the seasons of his first coming, just like it was, uh, second coming, just like it was at his first coming, is his star in the east, Israel. And I'll tell you something, folks. That star has become even brighter to those who are looking since October the 7th. As the night sky of this world becomes darker, a world dark with the hatred of 8 billion people who hate God, who hate his word, and who are troubled at the mention of his name, just as it was at the first coming of the Lord Jesus. Can it get much darker? I don't think it can get a whole lot darker. And it's in this dark that the day, remember, we read it there in 2 Peter chapter 1, that the day is going to dawn and the day star, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to arise. We read about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 or 4. The Lord himself is going to descend from heaven and we're going to Meet him in the air. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Are you looking for his appearing? If you are, you'll see his star in the east. And he that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. It'll affect the way we live. It'll affect the way we live. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know the times and the seasons. He's not going to appear to those who are living as the king of their lives. He's not going to appear to those who are troubled 
at the thought of losing the throne of their heart and the control of their life to someone, to another king, the Lord Jesus. He's not going to appear to those who, who know the message in their heads. They've never believed it in their hearts. He's not going to appear to those who are lost. Is that you this morning? Is that you this morning? If it is, before it's too late, if before it's too late, you need to lay down your rebellion and surrender your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to him with a broken and a contrite heart. He will not despise that. Turn to him and trust him to be your Savior before it's too late. If we know him today, we need to be living for him. Time for doing that is running out. We want to talk about time tonight, Lord willing. Very interesting things about time. And time is about to be no more. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your precious word. And we thank you for every opportunity that we have to look into it. And we pray that the desire of our heart would be to have more light and more light and more light. And to desire to go deeper and deeper into your heart. We pray for any here who are lost today that they would understand that it's the mercy of the Lord that has brought them again. It's the mercy of the Lord that has allowed them to have the health and the strength and the mind to hear the message of the gospel again. And we pray that this would be the day, right now, right where they are, when they would lay down their rebellion and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.